0: Hello and welcome to the Anxiety Slayer podcast. I'm Shan Vanderleek, anxiety coach and co founder of Anxiety Slayer and the Anxiety Slayer Academy. Today it's my pleasure to introduce you to Dr. John DeMartini. Dr. DeMartini is a human behavior specialist, international best selling author, educator, founder of the DeMartini Institute, and the author of 40 books that have been translated into 36 languages. He's been featured in films, including The Secret. He's appeared on Larry King Live and regularly contributes to Oprah Magazine. And he's so much more than that. When I was reading his bio, I thought, what, like three sentences? I mean, this man has so much experience. He travels all around the world, helping so many, inspiring so many. Welcome to Anxiety Slayer, Dr. Demartini.
1: Well, thank you for having me. Thank you.
0: In today's fast-paced, hyper-connected society, there's an undeniable increase in people experiencing varying degrees of anxiety. We get loads of email from our listeners about how they are suffering from all types. And at the top of the list is health anxiety, followed by the fear of having an anxiety attack and social anxiety. I'd love for you to share your view about anxiety being a form of fear.
1: So can I give you a scenario? Uh, to kind of build out the formation of anxiety. Yes, please. Let's imagine that a mother and father are having an argument at home and there's a little one-and-a-half to two-year-old baby that's having to endure and listen to the screaming. And the baby then quickly crawls off or runs to its room, hides under a bed, puts its hands over its ears, closes its eyes, and just feels a bit shaken by the screaming match. This, this initial perception of pain without pleasure, loss without gain, negative without positive in the child's perception is stored in the subconscious mind as an instinct to protect away from that response and an impulse to whatever that child perceives as its opposite, a peaceful, safe environment. Now, the next morning after the yelling match, the father goes off to work, the mother comes and gets the baby out of the bed and goes and gets it dressed up and takes it shopping. Now, when the, when they were screaming the night before the father was wearing blue jeans and a white shirt, had a brown mustache and brown hair. And the mother was wearing a particular outfit and the child had taken this in and filtered this in the pulmonar nuclei of the thalamus and, and filtered information going into the Corona, before it goes into cortex and to be conscious. So the child's got a filtered response there. Now the next morning, the mother takes the the baby with her shopping to the grocery store and the baby's fine. And it's sitting in the basket and they're just, you know, relaxing and having a good time. And all of a sudden they turn a corner and there's a man with blue jeans, white shirt, brown hair, brown mustache. The baby has an association with those stimuli, and the baby now has a reaction because she, the baby will do one of a fight or flight response. It'll either get in front of the mother and protect it, turning its back on the mother to try to protect it, or it'll get behind the mother and try to create a response to pull mother away from that thing that's associated with the original night before experience. And so it'll have a, a what is called a an association with the primary one because of associations made with the blue jeans and white shirt and brown hair and brown mustache. So the child is not even aware that it's actually a result of the night before, but it just has this, this instinct to protect itself from this thing that's walking by because of the associations made. Well, the, the boy, the guy walks by with the blue jeans and white shirt goes down the aisle and now it feels safe and it gets back there and it plays and the mommy wonders, why did the child act out for just a second while the man walked by? Then it goes around the next corner and there's a guy with a blue jean, yellow shirt, brown hair, brown mustache. Now the child has a little less response, but still a bit of a response because it's now associated with blue jeans and brown hair and brown mustache. But now the child has a secondary association with a yellow shirt. Now it goes down the next aisle and there's a guy with a blue jeans, red shirt, brown hair, brown mustache. Now it's got an association with a red shirt. Then it goes around the corner and it sees a guy with a blue jeans, a white shirt, blonde hair, blonde mustache. And now it associates blondness with that. And all of a sudden, without even realizing it, there is a hundred stimuli in the environment triggering varying degrees of response to the original fear. So these secondary, tertiary, quaternary, pentenary associations eventually have stimulus to, or act as stimuli to create an anxiety response. An anxiety response is a compounded original fear that's never been neutralized. So now what happens is the child starts to having a hundred different things because now music is playing while they happen to see a guy with blue jeans and a white shirt, brown mustache. Now that music is now associated with it. And after a while there's hundreds of things in the environment without even being aware of the original event, it's triggering an anxiety response. Now this can be occurring in health because we could have a, a, a scare with some sort of a health response and then we can have secondary associations with it. It could be social, it could be learning at educational institutions. It could be fitness. It could be uh, exercise to have an injury and it can create secondary injuries. Anything that is compounded and associated on top of an original event that hasn't been neutralized can create an anxiety response and trigger it. Now if I go back and take that child to that original event and ask a certain set of questions make the unconscious conscious of the opposite at that moment and neutralize and balance the perceptions, the cascading of the secondary tertiary events dissolve. It's quite amazing how it's it's done. So there's a way of literally going back to the original primary event and asking questions to make us fully conscious of the opposite sides. Let's say that you meet somebody that you're infatuated with you're a single person or a married acting single and you meet somebody and you're highly attracted to them and you're kind of in a fantasy about them. And you're now conscious of the upsides, the things that are attractive and you're unconscious of the downsides. And as a result of it, you know, you stimulate dopamine, oxytocin, vasopressin, kephalons, endorphins, serotonin, and estrogen, and you got an attractive response, an impulse towards, but now you're unconscious of the downsides. That's why you're vulnerable to that impulse or you meet somebody that you resent. You perceive consciously, there's way more downsides because of previous experiences it's reminding you of, and there's no upsides. And now you're conscious the downsides, unconscious the upsides, and now you create a norepinephrine, epinephrine, cortisol, osteocalcin, you know, testosterone response. Now, when you do that, those chemistries get skewed, you get subjective biases as a a protective mechanism to accentuate that, And now you split your full consciousness into conscious, non-conscious halves. Anytime you store that, you store all of those imbalances in the subconscious mind as impulses towards things and instincts away from things that will run your life, irrespective of time or space until those are neutralized. Right. What you're doing is you're now asking questions that make you cognizant, conscious, like your intuition is attempting to heal you, trying to ask you, Information that will make you aware of the unconscious at the time you're conscious. So if you're infatuated, what's the downsides that occurred at that moment? If you're resentful, what's the upsides? And once they're balanced, you free it from the subconscious mind and it's liberated into what we could call the superconscious mind. A moment sure. of love and gratitude. When it's in love and gratitude, there's wellness. There's no response. There's no impulses. There's no instincts. There's no anxiety, secondary responses, etc. So what I do is I go to the moment when you perceive the original event occurring and you go in there and you identify what you think is more negatives than positives where the father is yelling at the mother and you go and find out what's the upsides. Because at first you think, well, there's no upsides, it's all downside. There's more negatives than positives, you withdraw from it, you try to protect yourself, et cetera. But at the same time, you might find that the mother is disempowered, and all of a sudden the yelling is she's communicating in a way that goes against his values. Uh, she's maybe overspend money and he's now reacting or maybe that he's, she's had an affair. You don't see the whole picture. So you just respond until you ask enough questions to try to find out what the real dynamic is. Right. Once you find the real dynamic and level it out and balance it with questions, which I've developed a series of questions for. Once those are balanced, the original event dissolves. And many of the secondary events, the cascading of those and the epigenetic impacts that they play calm down. And In rare cases, you may have to go back to some of those secondary ones because they could be now compounded themselves. But in most cases, if you get to the primary one, a lot of those things just disappear. I had a lady that was uh, hijacked off a street. She was just literally walking on the street, waiting in a corner and a guy came out with a, around a car and some guys came out and just grabbed and put in a car and, to scare the daylights out of her. Oh my goodness. Threatened her life. And she had an anxiety response in the hospital and was not able to even go out after that. We went back to that original event. And what happens is the mind, whenever it perceives something that's extremely traumatic, it will dissociate and create an ecstatic content in the brain, which is called an anti-memory. And for every memory, there's an anti-memory. And these things are compounded together to make up a, a whole event. When I made her aware of when she dissociated and where the ecstatic response was to compensate for that in the dissociation to protect herself, we actually put those two puzzles pieces together and actually she felt calm and centered. And once I neutralized frame by frame through a stream of consciousness in the original event, it was dissolved. It took about 48 minutes frame by frame through her experience and take each perception and find out where the anti-perception is. And there's an art to it, but it's just, it's not that hard to, to learn. But but once you do that, it can dissolve. And post-traumatic stress uh, is a very simple thing to dissolve. And it, it doesn't take very much time. It's not, once you know what you're doing, it's just a matter of doing it. Oh,
0: and she must have been so relieved.
1: She was hospitalized for a while and her parents were keeping her at home. And she was, you know, a young girl. And, uh, and this, uh, it, it, she was in my program in London the following day, in the evening program with her mom and I put my arm, my hand up and my thumb up, I said, how are you doing today? She, she put her thumb up, she says, no anxiety. I said, there's no reason for it because your perception is different now. It's all about perception. It's nothing to do with what's happening to you. It's having everything to do with perceptions. You have control over perceptions, decisions, and actions in your life. And the second you transform and balance your perceptions, your decisions instead of seek or avoid become centered and your actions become proactive, not reactive
0: these triggers i mean there's so many triggers of anxiety based on everything that you just shared and having a better understanding and as you said challenging your perceptions helps you get to that core of suffering helps you move beyond it as as
1: you can you can run the story that you're a victim of history you can become a master of destiny it's all based on whether or not you want to give the outer world power over you or you want to change the outer world by changing perception of the outer world yeah you know there's uh there's no reason why we have to have things. I, I say in my, my breakthrough experience program, which is my signature program where I teach people this, I explain to them that it's uh, it's nothing your mortal body can experience that your mortal soul, which is a state of unconditional love acronym, can't love. There's nothing. This, this is what's possible. Yeah, and and I, and I and I tell people it's nothing about what's happened to you; it's how you perceive it. And I've yet to see anything that can't be transformed into something you can be grateful for. I mean, as crazy as that may sound, it's true. Yeah,
0: well, I don't think it sounds crazy. I mean, you certainly have years and years of, of experience and so many stories like these, that over and over and over again, this anxiety and this suffering has
1: been dissolved. The pharmaceutical model is, you know, loves to sell its little pe- chemistry.
0: Yeah, and right. I, Have a problem, take a pill, right?
1: Yeah, take a pill. And, and it's all a biochemical imbalance in the brain and everything else. But you know what? If, if you're sitting in a room, I, I use this in my Breakthrough Experience program as an analogy. Let's say you're sitting in a room and all of a sudden I open a door and a 14-foot friggin' tiger leaps across the room and is headed towards you. And it's got salivating fangs opening its mouth and about to <laughs> chomp on your brain. And all of a sudden you turn and you see this thing just about to eat you. And I, I pull out a men in black pen and freeze the frame right as it's got its mouth over your head. And then I quickly, before, you know, in the frozen frame, I then do blood analysis, blood chemistry, brain chemistry. Right. And I guarantee you, I'm going to find testosterone, cortisol, osteocalcin, epinephrine, norepinephrine. You know, these chemical compounds, substance P are going to be skyrocketed and serotonin and, and dopamine all that's going to just plummet. And so now you go, huh, see, you got a biochemical imbalance. You have a f- anxiety response. A bunch of, bunch of crap. <laughs> now, now, now all of a sudden, let's say I open up the pen again, the men in black pen, and um, we find out that all of a sudden the the, the big tiger stops stands next to you, picks you up, puts its arms around you, and says, you're great, And I'm Tony <laughs> Tiger. And your whole life you wanted to meet Tony Tiger because you ate Frosted Flakes from your kid, and it's Tony Tiger, your hero. And all of a sudden you find out it was Tony Tiger the whole time and he just couldn't wait to come and give you a hug. And now all of a sudden your estrogen goes up, your cortisol goes down, and the chemistry is completely reversed in 200th milliseconds. Yeah, that's that's If we just blame the chemistry instead of the perceptions, we've lost contact. We've confused causal with concomitant. And as a result of it, we we sit there and and we create a a causal chain in order to a pharmaceutical company can, can give you a little pill that creates psychosis. And then what happens is you then start to blame and dissociate. And anytime you think there's something on the outside causing things on the inside, you're going to look for a solution on the outside and disempower your life. If we have a eternal damnation in our perception, we're going to need eternal salvation in the outside world, some savior to save us, and this pill is going to be our savior. But if we realize that it's nothing to do with the outside world, it has everything to do with our perception and our decisions and our reactions and actions to it, we re-empower our life. And that's what I'm interested in. I'm interested in giving their people their power back instead of making them dependent on some external source and blame and solution.
0: Yeah, we are too, and it's why we... Every day, no matter no matter what we hear, you know that doesn't work for me. Breathing doesn't work. Yoga doesn't work. Qigong doesn't work. EFT doesn't work. It doesn't work for me. It's like, no. That that right now, that's your brain tricking you.
1: Many people don't want to be accountable. Exactly, truth, they don't want to be accountable for their perceptions and their decisions. And there's many secondary gains. Listen, no one will ever maintain an anxiety unless they're getting more advantage and disadvantage inside them to do it because. It's all strategic. When people have a reason for it, you know, it's like malingering in a uh, doctor's offices. If they're getting $40,000 or $30,000 from the government to, to not have to work, and then they go out and they try to get a job and they make 50, but they got to work, they're going to make sure that they have a malingering reason for not working. <laughs> and sometimes parents that rescue children and uh, make it where nobody has any accountabilities prolong these conditions instead of actually help them be accountable, and, and take commands of it with some tools that will actually work. Right. So meditation, if trained properly over extended periods of time, can revamp and neuroplastically alter the brain if it's done properly. But I'm interested in getting right to the point. I'm not interested in pussyfooting around. I'm interested in getting into and confronting the illusion and breaking through it. And it doesn't take that long if you hold people accountable to answer the questions.
0: Right. Well, a number of the, the questions that, that we hear in, in, in our groups and emails is, it's not really a question. It's, I'm afraid I'm going to have a heart attack. My heart's racing, and then I'm tuning into my heart. And then the next thing I know, I'm going to the ER, and I'm being told everything's okay, but I'm just sure that there's something wrong. And it loops around and around
1: and around and around. Yeah. Well, they don't realize that. Let me, let me uh, elaborate again. Now, imagine an animal in the wild. And uh, the animal in the wild has a natural prey that it eats, a predator that eats it. It has an impulse to eating the prey and has an instinct away from the predator. Now in the wild animals have an amygdala response, a desire center response that is subjectively biased and has what is called false positives. A false positive is to assume something's there when it's not and a false negative is assuming something's not there when it is. And a false positive makes you survive because if you assume that it's not there when it is, you get eaten. Right. If you assume that it's not there when it is, you can't get the animal you, to eat. So you can't live on false negatives. You can only survive by false positives and false positives to assume that it's there, even if it's not just to protect yourself or assume that it's there. And maybe you run after something that's not there, but at least you tried. So what happens is we have automatically, when we're not living by what is valuable to us, our highest values, and we're living by unfulfilling values in our life, our amygdala comes online and we tend to, false positive are perceptions. When we do, we tend to accentuate them as a survival mechanism into extremes. We can see predator as infinitely scary and have a a false negative on the prey, or we can have it the other way around. We can have an infinite positive on the prey and no predator. And these subjective biases skew things and accentuate and dramatize the emotions, and we can get those compounded over time. And it's these responses that lead people right into the hospital with mm-hmm. thinking that they're having a heart attack. Right. It's a, a response that it's easily corrected by asking the right questions and holding people accountable. If you don't govern yourself, the world around you have to govern you. And me- medication and psychiatry and all these things are outside governing systems instead of inside governance. And there's a way of actually when people fill their day with high priority actions that inspire them, the blood glucose and goes into the executive center of the brain where they have more objectivity and more balanced view. They're less likely that they have self-governance governing the amygdala response and it calms it down and it gives them a centered state. So if people fill their day with high priority actions to inspire them, instead of low priority distractions that don't, they have a high probability of being able to have governance over themselves and stop the anxiety response. But if they don't and they're not fulfilling their life, doing inspiring things and they're they're not able to say no to external, you know, opportunists and people around and projecting their values onto them and they sit there in an unfulfilled life, they're more vulnerable and they compound this uh, accentuated secondary and tertiary responses. So it's so important to fill our day with high priority actions that are meaningful to help us in this process and then ask the right questions, which our intuition is trying to do to neutralize the original events that we identify that we had a phobia associated with.
0: And in today's day and age with all of the screen time, it's such a distraction, whether it's the phone in your hand or the computer in front of you, or if you have the television on or people letting in the, the news and negative vibes and violence. And, you know, I mean, all this stuff is just coming at you, right?
1: Yeah, but well, and, wait a minute. Let's, 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 let's just address that. Because I, I, I had an interview yesterday about this, and somebody was really charged about social media and saying it's screwing people up. And I said, no, 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 no. Social media, television, everything else has nothing to do with it. It's your use of it that does everything.
0: Exactly. It. Too much use of it. Too much. Your
1: use of it. It's not the TV. I mean, I, I go on television, and I serve millions of people by doing that. I don't think exactly. the not the problem. Social media is not the issue. It's you comparing yourself to people that are accentuating their fantasies on, on media. It's you sitting there dwelling on low-priority stuff by distractions of media. I don't sit there and do all that. I, I mean, I, I don't even carry a cell phone, believe it or not, as weird as that may sound. Some of the most
0: high-profile people doing so much great work in the world do not carry cell phones.
1: I sit there and I ask myself, what is the highest priority action I can do today to make the greatest difference on the planet with the resources I have today? And I stick to priority. And I, I can't say that sitting down and dwelling on social media issues and getting engaged in drama and stuff like that is by any means interesting to me. No. I don't waste my time on that. I'm sitting there writing articles that educate people. I'm trying to study and research. I'm trying to do consulting to help people. I fill my day with things that are deeply meaningful and priority it, like being on this show where we can make a difference. I would travel right. through that and sit there and focus and dwell on drama.
0: And that's the thing with, with all of the distraction, with all of the drama, with all of this low level energy stuff, and that we have to do better letting that stuff go and, and figuring out what it is that we're passionate about.
1: What- but the thing is, is if we don't find out what our highest value is, you know, on my website, drdmartine.com, I have a value determination process to help you look at what's priority in your life. And if you take the time to do that and 13 questions can help you narrow down what it really is important. And if you don't fill your day with the highest priority things that inspire you, your day is designed to fill up with low priority distractions that don't. And when you do, your amygdala comes online. When you don't, and you stick to high priorities, your executive center comes online. One heals you, one hinders you. One brings you stress and wellness and one brings distress and illness. Distress, illness, and anxiety are feedback mechanism to let you know you're not living by priority.
0: Incredibly true. I just was thinking about the new year started and I had gotten away from my yoga practice for, for quite some time and got back into it. And today I was in, in the midst of my practice and just so incredibly grateful to give myself this gift again, to just be in that moment. <laughs> And be like, yes, this is what I was missing. This was so. This, oh, good for you.
1: Yoga asanas and mudras, uh, if done with some sort of rhythm and consistency, yoga means union of opposites. It helps yes. you synthesize the pairs of opposites in your mind. So it helps heal.
0: It's beautiful. It's yeah. I'm I'm grateful to be practicing again, and and I know that uh, a number of our listeners have have started to move, whether it's through qigong or. Yoga, or even just getting out and moving, just moving, getting away from these low la- level activities, and and getting out and enjoying the great and crushing beauty of this world.
1: Well, if you if you like, I say fill your day with re- things that are deeply meaningful. It doesn't fill up with things that don't. I I had a person that was living with an anxiety for many many years, and we we nipped it. It took about an hour and a half to do it. And uh, beforehand, he said the only time I could ever get out of my anxiety is if I focused on doing something that served other people. And I was completely engaged in di- focusing and serving them. I yeah. said, well, yeah. you learned about the priorities in life. If we're not making a difference in other people's lives, we're not going to have fulfillment in our own. That's part of our nature. We have a sensory cortex, and a motor cortex, the is for rewards, but the motor's for service. And we're designed to have both of those. If we have uh, served people and contribute to other people's lives with a state of sustainable equanimity and equity. We have the greatest potential for healing and being and, we're not likely to be sitting there focusing on our issues.
0: Tell me again about the, the questions and, and where our listeners can...
1: Well, the, the question of the, the, the Demartini value assessment is, is 13 questions, and it's there to determine what you value most in life so you can start prioritizing your life. Most people, if you ask them what their values are, they'll tell you social idealism's and they don't realize that their conventions, traditions, mothers, fathers, preachers, teachers that have been surrounding their lives are still talking inside their heads. Right. And they have a super ego injunction sitting from their, these sources instead of looking inside at their own heart and finding out what they're really committed to and what their life demonstrates is important to them. So what I did is I filtered through all that and, and made some questions to try to get you objective about what's priority to you. And I look at how do you fill your space? Because things that are really important to you, keeping your space intimately proximal, and things that aren't important to you, toss and get rid of and avoid and get away from. Then you look at how you spend your time. You find time, make time, spend time on things that are valuable to you and you don't have time for things that aren't. The third one is what energizes you. When you're doing something the time, in your values, your energy goes up. What do you spend your money on? You always find money, make money and spend money on things that are really valuable to you. So that tells you what you value. The fourth right. one is what is it, where are you most organized and ordered? The fifth one is where are you most disciplined, reliable, and focused? Where, you, where do you spontaneously do things that nobody has to remind you to do intrinsically? The next one is what do you think about? Next one is what do you visualize about? Before? The next one is what do you talk to yourself about, about how you want your life that shows evidence of coming true? It's got to have evidence and it has to be what you're looking for. The next one is what do you converse with other people about socially? What do you keep wanting to bring the conversations to? And what can you talk all night about? The next one is what inspires you and brings a tear of inspiration to your eyes? What's common to it? What's common to the people that do it? And the next one is what is it the most consistent, persistent goals you've had in your life that you keep making come true? And the last one is what do you love spontaneously studying, reading about, learning about and listening to about? And if you go through all of those, you'll find there's a pattern that reiterates itself and keeps percolating to the top, the same answers show up. And the ones that show up most frequent, second, most frequent, third, most frequent are the top three values. It's very accurate. and It really gives you an assessment of what your identity revolves around and what you really focus is. Now it's key is to start structuring your life around it. Right. So you can start doing something you really love to do because anytime you're not delegating low priority actions that are low on your values to other people, you're devaluing yourself. And anytime you're doing the highest priority actions, you value yourself. And until you value yourself, don't expect the world to. It's such an important (laughs) component to delegate and to focus on priorities. If you want to get masterful and inspired lives. Oh,
0: fantastic. Thank you so much. And thank you for, coming on to Anxiety Slayer today and for sharing. You just have such a wealth of information and I'm grateful for the assessment and to make sure that there'll be a link in the show notes for all of our listeners that can take that assessment and and really let this conversation sink in so that they understand that they can absolutely move beyond anxiety and fear.
1: Well, I'm certain about that. I I love watching people when people come to the Breakthrough Experience, which is my signature program. I've done it in 64 countries, 1,090 times. I've yet to see anybody that can't dissolve their anxiety.
0: 1,090 <laughs> so 40, times?
1: 1,090 times I've done it in 64 countries. Wow. i 42 to 43 times a year for the last 31 years. I got to tell you, right, like what we were talking
0: about before we started the interview, I said, How, where does this man get his energy? And then now having listened to you and learning a little bit more, it's like this is, you are just, you are on. You are turned on by what it is you're learning, teaching, growing, doing, traveling, that's and that's what you're doing.
1: Well, when you do you what know, infinite, energy is infinite once you recognize the source. And there's no lack of energy in human beings except when they drain themselves by doing low priority stuff. Right on. You know, if you, if you, you know, vitality in life is directly proportional to the vividness of your vision. And the thing that clouds the vision is all the injected values of others that make you uncertain about your direction in life. We're not here to compare ourselves to others. We're here to compare our daily actions to our own highest values. We do that. Amazing things start to happen. That way we don't live in the shadows of anyone. We stand on the shoulders of giants.
0: Right on. Oh, deep bow to you, Dr. John Demartini. I am so grateful we got to have this conversation today.
1: Well, thank you for having me on your show. Appreciate it.
0: That was Dr. John Demartini. You can access daily teachings from Dr. Demartini on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. You can also view interviews and videos on YouTube and live stream, and also at drdemartini.com. And be sure to look for that value assessment. We'll make sure we have a link in the show notes.